Hold on to your butt. I'm quite surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to be. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our job. Welcome to it, folks. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. And what a weekend. Oh, joining me this evening is Troy, as he usually does on Mondays. How you doing, man? Good. I'm glad you got the Daft Punk on. Yeah, a little bit of da- Daft Punk's... Is it Discovery is the album? I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That they had the whole uh, anime movie. They... Yeah. What was that Daft Punk movie we watched? Oh, gosh. It was like it Human After All or something like that. It was a weird one. It was odd. Like the, I the usually faces and everything. Yeah, I usually love Daft Punk. That movie was a little too avant-garde for me, a little too French. Electroma. Electroma. Yeah, it was a bizarre flick, but I love Daft Punk's music. I do too. I was riding top down around the city this morning. Listen to this. Yeah, with the buds in. Nice. Mm-hmm. Why people are like, who's that long-haired hippie smiling? <laughs> he must be a sissy or something. Uh, yeah. Yeah, wow, what a day. It feels normal. It's an actual normal week. Yeah. Though this weekend, I really fell off the wagon in terms of food. What'd you have? Well, it wasn't like I went gourmet. It was like, instead of steak and fish, like the normal diet I've been following, it's like, hmm, let's drink a whole gallon of milk once again. Okay. In the evening. (laughs) Let's eat some Little Debbie fudge rounds. Fudge rounds. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let's, uh, on top of that, eat a bunch of, like, chips and dip. Like, ranch or French onion dip. Was it, like, buffalo wing chips? I know. No. I know you're a buffalo wing chip. No, guy. I went with the standard wavy lays. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. The wavy, I like wavy for dipping. Oh, it, it was great. very effective for dipping. More surface area for the dip. And then, like, some Ziegler Southern sausage, but they're perfect size for hot dogs and buns. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I just ate all that. Always some. Uh, I went very basic. I played into my basic white girl and got some. Uh, some uh, what are they? Pumpkin. Donut holes, pumpkin donut holes. Pumpkin, I got. I got some of those too. Pumpkin spice donut. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're good friends. Good. <laughs> they're, they're they're delicious. They're pretty good. <laughs> they're incredibly good. They're pretty good. It's yeah. like I feel like such a basic bitch right now. <laughs> It's so good. But I really do have a problem with milk. Really do. What if you just drank buttermilk? No. That's disgusting. Yeah, well, you wouldn't drink milk anymore, would you? (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It's kind of like the idea of parents like, oh, you want to smoke cigarettes, son? Smoke this whole pack. No, I'll be like the coach down in in LSU, so you want some cigarettes, son? Go Tigers. You're going to smoke this whole whole pack of cigarettes, a whole carton of cigarettes right now. 
You'll never want to smoke them again. But I'm proud of my team. Proud of Greedy. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. <laughs> Even though I, all I understood out of that was go Tigers. Uh, yeah. Could you clarify your comments? Well, uh, you know, when you go down another way and you have the other way, it's in red and without me. No, no. Go Tigers. <laughs> <laughs> I was so pissed at the Auburn game, but when I watched his post-game interview, I was like, I kind of like that guy. Yeah, it's it's hard not to like Coach O. Yeah, good guy. It is hard to like the referees, though. Yeah, and here, let's be clear. We're not saying that Auburn lost because of the referees, because Gus, why are you going on fourth down near the goal line in the first quarter? Put points on the damn board. See, I, I'm I'm okay with that. I'm not. I'm it's okay like, with that. It's the first put points on the. You threw an interception in your first possession. In all actuality, to talk about how crappy the refing was, that second possession, who was it? Davis who caught the receiver screen, mm-hmm. and they called the incomplete pass. That was a fumble. Yeah, it was clearly a fumble. So Auburn got lucky there. So your first two possessions. It really looks like you're turning the ball over. Everything isn't running high and tight. And uh, you get down there, and you get stuffed. Put points on the board, Gus. Damn. I See, well, it's the, not the NFL. Right. In the NFL, I'm taking points all day. Okay. In college, okay. where you've got this season, you've got young men that you're mm. teaching to be, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say Auburn men. Yeah. There are opportunities for learning and growth that you would otherwise not get if you were not in a game environment. If Coach, if Chip Lindsay is saying he's giving the ball to the hot hand, he's giving it to Booby. Yeah, I he's like Booby. I like Booby Whitlow. Yeah, if he's giving it to him, and it's fourth and one, and you want to give this guy some confidence, mm-hmm. give it to him. Give it to him. Yeah. Did they give it to him on that play? I don't know if they did. They give it to Shivers. I like Shivers too, though. Yeah, guys, like when somebody is a track star and they're that size, mm-hmm. like that small and short. Yeah, you know it's pure fast twitch muscle. Yeah, and I like, mean for how small he is, dude's got some cojones. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I like how he runs hard. He's not just elusive; he runs hard for such a little guy. Mm-hmm. Like I would not want to try to tackle him. He'd hurt me. Yeah, hurt me bad. Yeah, yeah. I threw my hat. What? You're that upset? I was so upset I threw my hat. You don't usually throw things. No. At all. Yeah, I threw my hat, and I I was... I, I, Did you throw out your shoulder? That would be bad. Like, if you're so angry, you throw your hat, and it's like, oh, my shoulder. I threw that hat as hard as I could, mm. but it's a hat. Right. So... It doesn't... It, you know, it hit the ground, and it was like, meh. Yeah, it's not uh, exactly satisfying. No. no. Some people buy foam bricks to throw at their television. Foam bricks? Yeah, like Nerf. Okay. And just throw it, when whether they're watching, like, Fox News or MSNBC or some sports event. They'll just get pissed and throw something. Because they have their little brick. Hmm. Which, I, that's, that's healthy. Yeah, I suppose so. Or you get one of those balls that you squeeze. Yeah. Like the stress balls. Mm-hmm. I don't like those things. Like, look at what I'm doing right now. It doesn't look right. No, it, it looks like you're trying to, like, milk yeah. a goat. Yeah. <laughs> But the goat only has one teat, and it yeah. turned out to not be a teat. <laughs> that would be a bad day. Bad day. Oh, jeez. That would be a terrible day. But I do want to see uh, or say something about what I saw this weekend that made me really happy. Now, I was telling you off air, town in California, Idlewild, California, yeah. they have a mayor that is the most adorable furry mayor 
in all of these United States. Quite the name, too. It's a strong name. It's a golden retriever. He wears a tie. He wears a necktie. And he cruises around the town in his official car. And his name is Maximus Might Dog Muller II. It was actually his uncle who became the first mayor of Idlewild, which was back in 2012. And apparently the way it works, the town's so small. Instead of actually people running for mayor, you run your pet. So like 14 dogs and two cats ran. Max, Mayor Max, ends up winning. So the pet owner is kind of the chief of staff. But the town's so little, it's like, there's not that much to do. Yeah. Everybody's good. And, I, you know, I think dogs get a pass for clip-ons. Clip-on ties? I think so. But I think he's wearing a full necktie. I can't keep it straight. I can't stop from giggling. Look at these photos, folks. <laughs> Look him up, Mayor Max in California. I'm sorry, Todd Strange, but you're not that adorable. Nowhere near. I like the mayor of Montgomery. I know some people will have gripes, but every time the mayor's on one of the shows, without fail, there are calls about the roads. You know, it's one thing. I think they've got a team. You can call in, and there's a pothole somewhere. Yeah. Or you can call Domino's. Apparently, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is great as a libertarian, because the common... When I tell people I'm a libertarian, and it's the first time I'm meeting them, like, I try not to now, because I know they're going to go, well, who's going to build the roads? Like... Domino's. Domino's. <laughs> well, it's like, you do, You could ask, you know, who's going to build a space program, or who's going to provide national defense? National defense, in particular, is a pretty complex public goods problem. Yeah. But no, who's going to build, who's going to pave a road? Like, you know, developers are going to build a neighborhood or a shopping center and go, oh, crap, we forgot the roads. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen. Yeah. And then even then, they'll be like, oh, we'll just slap a layer tar on it. Yeah. Or blacktop. Well, and I don't expect that much of of the mayor, really. I mean, I expect a few things. Are roads in Montgomery even that bad? I don't. At least- in certain areas, like, I mean, but here's the thing. Half the time, it's like, well, that's the, a state road. That's state DOT. Or no, that's the feds. They got to take care of that. Which is annoying, I'm sure, for the mayor, because he'd like to get it done. Because he's got people talking his ear off about it. Mm-hmm. So it's either roads or it's like, what about the crime? Which, serious issue, I suppose. But, uh, you know, I, I'm more worried about, like, theft. Like, somebody will rob us. Like, okay. That's, I think, a genuine concern. But when I see, like, the murder tally, like... Most of the time, these people know each other. They're not murdering you. How are we going to prevent this? How are we going to prevent, like, two drug dealers from killing each other? Or how are we going to prevent, like, it's either drugs gone wrong, like dealing gone wrong, or domestic dispute. How, as a mayor, as a police chief, as any sort of public servant, are you going to prevent crimes of passion and drug deals gone wrong? Well, they tried with drug deals within the framework of was it Nancy Reagan's drug war? Oh god. Yeah, within the framework of that they tried public service initiatives such as DARE. Yeah. Which didn't work out very well. No, it did not. But you know what would really eliminate the probability of drug deals gone wrong? Legalize it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, I actually saw a story today that in California it's now legal statewide. But Something like 85% of cities and municipalities in California still outlaw the sale and distribution of marijuana. They don't get business licenses out. 
So one company came up with the idea, okay, you're not going to sell it to us. We'll just deliver to people in these areas. Yeah. And one uh, police chief in California said, this will lead to more robberies and homicides because the guy's delivering pot. Did you know, somebody's trying to eat a pizza and watch Impractical Jokers. Yeah. I don't, I don't see... I don't get it. The, see, the problem is, at least the way I see it, when people are talking about marijuana, I suppose since it's a class one controlled well, narcotic. Which is absurd, but yes, yes it is. It gets lumped into the same group as meth, heroin, crack, mm-hmm. cocaine, all of those things. Which those are nuts. I would say you're much more likely to get robbed in a crack deal gone wrong yes. than you are to get robbed and a marijuana deal gone wrong. Right. Things like the really hard drugs that people get very addicted to, to where they need it or they're going to have major withdrawals, that's when violence and theft happens in general. Well, and there's just a, there's a whole lot more money there. That too. That too. So people are carrying a lot of more money. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas with pot, it's like, okay, I don't have my pot. What's going to happen? You're not going to sleep well and you're going to be that hungry for a few days, a little irritable over there, big guy? Yeah. They get over it. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, it's just, I. I and such my a generational response, thing. My response to that, Mayor, would be if, if robbery goes up because of pot deliveries, you know what's going to happen? People are going to choose, choose a different pot deliverer. Yeah. Delivery service, yeah. You can't run a business by committing crimes unless you're an ISP. Oh, but this is again how crazy these laws are. That if you, it's now legal in Canada to sell, possess, yeah. weed is now completely illegal across the Great White North. And, uh, oh, it's such a good place. I mean, I kind of want to visit Canada. I don't want to live there, but I'd like to, to visit Canada. You're going to go squatching? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I call it. Squatching. We can go squatching. We could, uh, I'm just going to ride across the border after I get through customs and just blast this 16-second song. Take off to the great white north. Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off to the great white north. Sorry, is that Rush? That was Getty Lee. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's actually part, I only have 16 seconds because it's really a comedy song. Like, oh, hosers over there. Uh, <laughs> but if you are in Canada and you're found to like legally possess and own weed, the United States might ban you yeah. from coming into the country. They actually were stopping venture capitalists from Vancouver, I believe, coming across into Washington State where it's also legal. The federal authorities were banning people for life and stripping them of their passport you know, privileges. Travel between two states where it's legal. You're good to go. Yeah. Cross a federal border, mm. despite the fact that on both sides of the land it's legal. It's That's an issue. It's just bizarre, man. Yeah. Like, that's one thing I hope we speed it up. Come on, speed it up. I see these, you know, a lot of police departments are on Twitter, and, and that, that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, Need to be able to communicate with the public. Yeah. Especially if it, the QRF, Quick Response Force. Yeah. For the PR. Right. Things like that. Great. I see some pictures from some police departments of them and their drug busts. And in the back of my mind, I just hear, like, 
J. Jonah D- Jameson from the Daily Bugle and the Spider-Man movie saying, chuck one up for the good guys. <laughs> and it's like, it's like a joint. And I'm like, I'm like, ni- nice. nice. Nice work. Good job, guys. Yeah. You probably spent more time being frustrated over the paperwork yeah. than, than the, the whole lot of good that joint did. Well, and then I also, uh, I'm just sharing what I saw this weekend. Great video. I want to get on this guy who I met at this conference, Lou Perez. He's are a, we doing phrasing? Hmm? Are, we, are we doing phrasing? Phrasing? Phrasing. Great guy? You want to get on the guy? No, no. I want to get him on the show. Ah. Well, he just got married, kind sir. Hey. I'm not judging. Oh, he freaked me out. He did one uh, video, comedy video, and that's what he mostly does these days with a group called We the Internet. I think he is a libertarian, but they kind of come from a libertarian, classical, liberal point of view. But they make fun of Democrats, Republicans, the whole damn political process pretty well. And there's one where he was in all white paint, a ridiculous fake hair fro, like his hands were covered up to look like hooves. Mm -hmm. And he's like, stop, stop making fun of a sheeple. (laughs) <laughs> like I was my father was a longshoreman and my mother was a sheep I was born this way <laughs> that's great and it's a freak he looks freaky in the video but the we the internet folks his name's Lou Perez I'm trying to get him on the show because he's great he actually chastised me at the conference like well Joey's never invited me on it's like because I'm intimidated Lou I'm intimidated by you. You're a funny man. Well, you know that uh, that method that people use for public speaking where they imagine everybody in their underwear? Yeah. Perhaps Lou can only come on the show as a sheeple. Yeah, exactly. What is, the, what is the singular of sheeple? Hmm. Shope? Sheeple? No, I think sheeple. She-man? No. Uh, sheepen? It, um, sheepwoman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's. Let's not conjugate that any longer. Uh, Anyway. It's it's Portman, though, anyway. The We the Internet folks came out with a video that was called Trade School versus Law School. And the video opens where it's this guy kind of in a suit, but he looks disheveled, like the tie's loosened. He looks stressed out, bags under his eyes. And his buddy, his roommate, walks into the apartment. And the buddy's got on kind of like a a button-up working shirt. And he's got oil stains on himself. And he's like, hey, man, you all all right? He's like, no, I'm stressed out. Stressed out. It's hard out here for a lawyer. It's like, you want us to get us a couple of pizzas or something? Don't you dare do that. Don't Don't you dare act like you're better than me because you went to trade school. I took out 150 grand to go to law school, and I can't find a damn case. And it was pointing out how it's... It's shifted. If you go to trade school and you become a skilled, certified in a skilled trade, you can make a crap load of money. Right. Be very secure. And if you go get one of these high-priced degrees, you're not going to do well. And the other guy's, the, the trade school guy, looks at him and goes, whoa, 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 man. I'm not talking down to you. My father, he got a PhD from Columbia in critical studies critical theory philosophy my mother she got a degree from harvard in gender studies and renaissance history it's like my god that's terrible my sister (laughs) she she studied anthropology and it's like i had to break the cycle 
So I went to trade school. <laughs> and, you know, part of me wishes, I've said this, it's like if I, and see if you agree, because you were my roommate at Auburn for, what, four years, the four years we were there. Yeah. Uh, I first started in philosophy. I, ju- I flirted with literature for a second, but then I jumped into political science finally. That's mm-hmm. what I got my degree in. I'm thinking back about that. And, you know, if I'd gone to Auburn for become a nurse or architecture, engineering, become a pharmacist, I mean, it's a lot of great schools. Forestry, animal husbandry. There's a lot of great schools at Auburn. You made a face after animal husbandry. It's a funny, it's a funny phrase. Yeah, I think that's why I'm a trapper. You're a trapper? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's... That's what it, you would have been really good at the beginning of the nation, like you know, with that that fur diplomacy. I'm in the fur trade. Yeah. Okay. And animal husbandry. Yes, I could have done any of those at Auburn, and it's a brilliant choice. But I went to Auburn for political science. It was stupid. It was a waste of time and money. Like in terms of just the degree, I enjoyed my time there. I had fun. We had a lot of fun. You have a beautiful mind. Yeah, thank you for that, sir. And I love some of the classes, like that yeah. I was actually interested in. Yeah, what was that one professor that used to go over to his place? Oh, Marvin Petrucci. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I'm going to tell the story now. He invited me to one of his uh, poetry readings, and this I had to be a sophomore, so or maybe a junior. That was like 2021. Yeah. And his poetry reading, his poetry was actually really cool. It wasn't like this constantly rhyming stuff. It was more like beatnik, bunch of kids growing up in Boston, like stealing things and like getting in fights. I'm like, this is kind of cool stuff. But he's in the setting is this coffee shop. And all these other students are sitting around like, oh, that's so (laughs) profound. Bring me the pumpkin spice latte and the donut holes. They're delicious. Bring me the pumpkin spice donut holes. Was that was that the coffee shop that was close to uh, Amsterdam? Cafe? Yes, it was Amsterdam, or was it, that near one there? right near it? Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so and hip. It was such so a hipster hip. place. Like you could smell the books, but they weren't even that. Well, the selection wasn't that great. Yeah, it's a bookstore and a coffee shop. So everybody's sitting around for this poetry and uh, reading for our our prof, our professor Marvin Petrucci, and. Uh, after he gets done, all these other students are like walking up to him, going like, "What is this? What did that mean? What was the symbolism in this? What was uh, this and that and this and that?" And you can tell he's answering the questions, but he's kind of bored. So I wait till the crowd disassembles, and uh, I walk up and I go, "It was pretty damn good. I liked it." <laughs> he goes, "Thanks. My friend's got a bong down the street. Want to hang out?" Like, yeah, why not? <laughs> it was just like, stop it with the pretense, hang out with the guy. I mean, so there were good memories from Auburn, and you learn, you can learn a lot anywhere. But part of me is like, why the hell did I go to Auburn University? And it's Petrucci who pointed this out. I My first and only English class at Auburn, because I A-B'd out of everything except like the second writing class. Yeah. He does this thing like, okay, folks, uh, I've got your uh, papers here graded. Um, Once I give it to you, you can leave. We're not going to have class today. I'll give you the paper. Good job, folks. 
and you leave. And he goes, I'm in the table at the front. It's kind of one of those deals where you sit in a group table and there are several in the classroom. And he hands papers to everybody at my table except for me. Like, what? what is this? I turned one in and he hands them out to the rest of the class. And I'm, it's just me in there with him. And he just looks at me. He's kind of a short, bearded man, all white hair, severe kind of face, like like he's been through some stuff. Yeah, and, he, and at this point, you don't really know him that well. No, I don't. This is like the first few weeks of class. And he looks at me and goes, so you did the assignment wrong. I'm like, oh, crap, I did? He's like, yeah, you uh, were supposed to compare a scholarly article with a, you know editorial you would find it in a newspaper. When you compare two editorials, I'm like, oh, crap. I, I'm so sorry. He goes, but don't be worried. You write so damn well, I'm giving you a B plus, even though you did the assignment completely wrong. He goes, where did you learn to write? You're a lot better than the re- those idiots in the back of the class I sent out earlier. And we got talking about existentialism and John Conway, Catholic, and... John like, Conway is the man. He really if John is Conway the man. is listening to this show, I just want to say you're the best. That guy was awesome. He mm-hmm. is awesome. The Western class we took with the chili cook-off? Oh, it was good. Yeah. Well, and he, that's what I loved about Conway. It's what it served me going into college. It's like there are no limitations. If you're interested in something in the world of literature, let's talk about it. We can read it. We can talk about it. Mm-hmm. There's no censorship whatsoever. Yeah. Where we even read some messed up William Faulkner short stories that I can't repeat the premise on air. Yeah. But it's that kind of place I was coming from. And Petrucci made this point to me after he's like, you get the B plus. We kind of hit it off. He said, this is a, this is a football school. Like, and everybody was taking offense to it. What do you mean? We cake our studies. And he's like, no, you don't. You're looking forward to Saturday, getting drunk, and watching the football game. And hanging out with your friends. Most of you in here. Fair. And I thought that was actually, in terms of liberal arts, he was correct. Fair, yeah. I think he was very correct. Now, we had a friend, Andrew, who lives with me. He went through the industrial design program. It's like the number one or two school in the nation for that, industrial design. That was hardcore. Really hardcore stuff. On him, like, that whole summer. Yeah. We barely saw the guy. Right. There are certain schools or colleges within the University of Auburn. Auburn's an incredible place. Like, aerospace engineering. And there's a lot of great... Don't get me wrong. But just me personally, why the hell did I go there? It just made no sense. Yeah. And part of me wishes, even though I enjoyed our time together, part of me wishes it was like I'd gone some far-flung place where I knew no one and had to discover myself quickly. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean yeah, I agree. It, I, I don't know. But, you know, and then you get into this mindset and you look back and you know, well, I am who I am and I kind of like it. So I wouldn't be the same person if I'd gone some, somewhere else. Yeah. So, yeah, you live and you learn. All right. I don't know how I got on that rant. But, uh, oh, yeah, the trade school, law school thing. Great mm-hmm. video. Check out the We the Internet, folks. Lou Perez is hilarious, by the way. Is it on your Facebook page? It is. It's on my Book of Faces page. Check it out, Joey Clark. I'm holding, it's a black and white photo is my profile pic, folks, and I'm holding the paddle that I gifted to, some might know him as 84, Clay Sharp, but I have been calling him Southern Wood 
And so I'm holding a paddle. Have you seen this? I have. Yeah. It says Southern Wood. I gifted it to this man. Before I gave it, I took a glamour shot. And uh, so you can find, that would be that Joey Clark holding a paddle that says Southern Wood, staring off into the distance. It's a nice paddle. Yeah. Shout out to Eric for making it. He's talking about a trade school guy. Is that, is it wood burning? It looks like he did some burning technique to etch in the words. Yeah, you like superheat a piece of metal, and then it's like a brand, but on wood, so it it sort of burns in. It's such a cool technique. Very, very cool. Uh, But wood burning doesn't... Wood burning can describe a lot of things, and typically involves literally just like a fire. You know? I don't know if wood burning is the name of the technique, and I'm pedantic, so... Right, right. You were kind of hung up trying to conjugate sheeple earlier. Yeah. I, well, I, I suppose I would rather be pedantic than be a pederist. Yeah. Just a bit. <laughs> yes. Like, you're not Oscar Wilde. No. You're not William Shakespeare. We did go to a Catholic school, though. We're just going to let that hang out there, folks. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Troy is alongside me. If you can't listen to the whole show, check it out. It's now on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. You know, actually, I looked it up. And it's like it's super easy to find on the podcast app. Exactly. Just search the Joey Clark Radio Hour. Mm-hmm. Pops right up. You could just put in the Joey, and it's like the third one. Yeah. Going strong. I haven't even looked at the numbers. I'm just assuming. It's going great. It's pretty good. Yeah. So, folks, be right back after this. Joey Clark. This Friday, piano and a microphone from 1983. This is the first track that was released early. Prince? Yeah. Nice. What this is, is him in 1983 sitting down in a recording studio for an hour and a half, I believe, and just playing straight through on piano different songs he's working on. So, like, this song came out in 84. 
on the Purple Rain, a B-side. There's 90 seconds of Purple Rain that's a teaser. And it's it's him, it's a genius in music kind of workshopping. Just him alone in a studio messing with the piano. And it's... Um, I like that. Not, not this, the, the staccato that he's getting. Mm-hmm. Like the, that right there. It's good. Oh, it's, it's um, moving. And there are some songs that are just he made up on the spot. Um, one that got me crying because it's like, Mama, Why the Butterflies. It's a very, I think it's about like losing somebody you love. And it's like, damn. But it's that picture and the estate or the people managing the Prince Estate decided, hmm, what's the first thing we want to release from the vault? And it was this tape, a cassette, pretty well preserved. It's like he died when he was doing a tour called The Piano and a Microphone. Just him on stage with the piano. And so let's release this at him at his pinnacle by himself. Because apparently the band uh, and the engineers have told these stories where he was he was watching concerts and recording sessions like it was game tape. Like a coach would watch a practice or watch an NFL Sunday game back. Like he would study himself. Not just the music and where it was going, but like, okay, did you hit your spot in that dance move there, Wendy? It was thorough, <laughs> almost almost too much. He was a perfectionist. That would, that would explain why he went through so many bands. Yeah, exactly. or rather band members. I think, yeah, I think so. But I'm pumped for that because the whole thing comes out Friday. Is it a title exclusive thing or no? It's on. It'll be on everything. Nice. That went away kind of after he. I think title has one more album they'll get exclusive for the first few weeks because of their deal with them. Um, and I'm excited to see what that is because that's apparently newer stuff. It was the stuff he was going to release next. Right. Um, really cool to think about that that project, what it's like to be working on that project. And then there's some sad stuff out there. And it's, it happens every time some celebrity dies, especially a celebrity with some mystique around them. You can almost see how like shrines and gods get built up. Where people are like, no, he didn't actually. He was he was murdered, man. I got the real truth. Justice for Prince. And it's like God, just let it go. Yeah. And um, you saw that with Princess Diana, like the the means. There's always a conspiracy about something that probably has a simple explanation, but you want more info on a it. A simple explanation that ends up being a difficult truth to face. Oh yeah. I.e. Sandy Hook. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wonder with Prince, it's like, okay, he was taking like Oxycontin or Percocet or a fairly standard pharmacy issued painkiller for his hip. All right. And he got hooked on him. Makes sense. Seems like a standard story. Then he dies with fentanyl in his system. And all they're finding is stuff marked like Percocet or Oxycontin. How the hell did fentanyl get in there? I, it, I mean, the, the simplest explanation is that he was getting extra drugs illegally. Yep, exactly. I mean, fentanyl nowadays is used not as necessarily a prescription. Like, it's not prescribed a whole lot No, compared to what is being brought in from China and then being used to cut heroin with. Right. And so, I mean, if there's there's pictures online of fentanyl in its powder form mm-hmm. and how much is the lethal dose to a human being 
and there's fentanyl, there's sufentanyl, and then there's like carbo-something fentanyl. And each one, for the lethal dose, it's like, for the last fentanyl that I was talking about, it's like two little tiny, almost like granules of sand. Good God. So it, there's some super potent stuff out there. And that's, I mean, and I'm all for drug legalization, liberalization, more than cannabis, but I'm also for, like, um, you know, you're not allowed to sell somebody something <clears throat> that's apparently good for them. That's poison. Yeah. yeah. When, when I used to work in a pharmacy, there was this lady that killed her husband with fentanyl patches. Good God. When he was asleep, she put two patches on him and dead. Yeah. It's dangerous stuff. Yeah. Really dangerous stuff. And I I just see the, the opioid crisis, the crackdown on that is... Uh, the way the government usually goes about, especially when we're talking drugs in this country, it's like, guys, I think it's going to kill more people. This is heavy-handed. Pretty heavy-handed, and I think it's going to drive more people who are actually hooked into the black market, and they're going to get the stuff you're just talking about, Troy. Mm-hmm. They're going to yeah. die. Yeah. And then, oh, congratulations, you created a new industry for a leaf called Kratom. Yeah. Which ruins people's lives as well. Well, but they made that illegal, too. Yeah. I guess when I harp on legalization of these things I understand the inherent risks mm-hmm. of like just how pernicious some of these drugs are right but it just seems a lot safer if you teach people about them and it also and you allow for testing of like purity and stuff because yes. in Europe you can go to a club and let's say you get a pill from somebody right. you can there are places in that club or in the club scene that you can go and be like hey I got this pill I kind of want to take it, but I don't know what it is. And they will tell you what it is and be like, yeah, go ahead. Or be like, you know, be safe. Which I know there are a lot of people in this country go, well, that's condoning the behavior. It's like, well, people are doing this stuff. So you're not going to, you're not going to stop people from doing this. It is. It's the saving people from themselves mentality. Like we're going to save you. And that, I don't get that. And maybe I'm, too callous. Isn't saving someone from themselves, though, easier to put in place when you give them the choice of information? Yeah. Like, if someone if someone's going to take a pill regardless. Right. Because they're going to... There's no stopping that. But they're concerned about it, and you give them a way to test it, and then that ends up saving their life, whether or not they take that pill. I mean, if they learn that information and then take that pill and they die well it's their choice it's on them yeah it's just well, i don't know it, that is generally how i feel it comes down to personal responsibility and at the end of the day you're the one who chose to ingest that yeah now you might be strung out and there's all sorts of reasons why people go down that road uh thank god i've that's never been an option for me like the the hard hard stuff, it's just I look at it and go, that is destructive behavior. Mm-hmm. That is like, you know, flirting with death on purpose is the way I would think of it. Like you're not, you've got to be in a messed up place. And I guess there are some people who, like, who have the money. Famous people give things are given to them. You know, back to people like Prince and Michael Jackson, where they have the means to get whatever they want. And that's a different, I think ball game compared to most people in this world. Yeah. But it's just a it is a very sad tragic subject, but I again the government's way too heavy-handed. 
Speaking of which, we've missed the uh, the big topic of this weekend. You know, Brett Kavanaugh looked yeah. like he was uh, going to get a vote pretty quickly. Um, and a well, I saw it coming last week. It's like I knew exactly what was coming because Feinstein. I saw the report from the Intercept. Great publication, Green, Glenn Greenwald's place. And they said Diane Feinstein. Uh, sources are saying has a letter from a woman in California who is accusing Kavanaugh of something. As far as we know, uh, the sources all kind of conflict against each other, but the common theme is it happened in high school. And Feinstein put out a statement saying the person, yes, I have this letter, but the person who gave it to me wants to remain anonymous and out of the public eye, but I am sending this to the FBI authorities to investigate. Oh my God, crap. Number one, as soon as she said the person who wrote this wants to remain anonymous and out of the public eye, I was like, next week she'll be not non-anonymous. She'll be known. Her name will be known. Well, she was. She's already a public figure, right? Isn't she? She's a. Uh, wasn't she like a lawmaker in California or something? She's her current job is. She's a clinical psychologist. Oh, this is a different individual I'm yeah. talking about then. Yeah, this is, she's a clinical psychologist. She's a registered Democrat. I mean, donated to the Democratic Party. And it's just the the one thing I've been scratching my head, because when an allegation is made from 35 years ago, it's kind of like with the Roy Moore stuff. It's like me sitting here, Joey sitting here. I don't know. Like, I guess we could play this game of what's your gut say if you watch him talking about it. What do you think about the veracity of these comments? Okay, and people have a certain sense about them. That's a fun parlor game to play, I suppose. But, like, I don't know whether or not this is true. But what had me scratching my head was, like, you keep saying you didn't want to come out in public because you get slung through the mud, but you took a lie detector test, you have a lawyer, and you gave it to members of Congress. You didn't want to go public? Give me, a, and that's where it's like. There's a tipping point, though. There's there's got to be a tipping point for where you're okay with whether or not the information that you have comes out, right? Yeah. Oh, and it has so, to be. so what is that tipping point? Is it the fact that I mean, it seems to me that the Republicans were being kind of sneaky with the forty thousand documents, and they yeah. only released like ten thousand the night before. Yeah. And then there was the whole he's got a gambling problem, so we covered that up. And then there was the whole fact that he lied about what he's going to do with Roe versus Wade. As soon as that happened, I knew the Democrats were going to absolutely do everything in their power to find comb this man's life and find something horrible that he did. But I believe all that stuff was known to to the Democrats on the committee. And then they did clear it for public release. That's why we know about it and we're talking about it. It's like, we know this, we got it, you can talk about it. It's like when Cory Booker's like, I'm breaking Senate protocol chastise i am spartacus and didn't even say i am spartacus he said this is the closest i will ever become to a spartacus moment it's like no Corey. in order to be spartacus don't you have to have other members that <laughs> yeah. say they are spartacus right and they tried but it was just a, a joke and that that fell on its face so it was like okay kavanaugh's gonna get through because that last ploy failed utterly then i saw the statement from feinstein last week it's like okay they've got something and it's with a, a woman who kavanaugh knew in high school like i know exactly what's coming given the whole narrative it's a sexual assault accusation that's mm-hmm. exactly what it is 
So what was the tipping point that caused her to be like, okay, I got to come out with this? I don't know. It's not clear, and that's why she's going to testify on Monday. And Kavanaugh's like, "Yeah, I'm ready to testify too." This didn't happen. Like he get, it, That's the one thing about the Roy Moore stuff. Roy Moore was a little weird with his initial responses. Like, well, you know, yeah, well, that's because he's a creep. But I mean, <laughs> we know as well that Kavanaugh is not honest. Yeah. Well, the Roe versus Wade thing, I think, is complicated. That's complicated, but the gambling issues. I don't know anything about that. Okay. No, I don't. I just don't. Like, I'm listening to you. This is the first time you heard about it? Yes. The, the, the investment of money in certain things that appears to be money laundering to cover up for supposed gambling issues that mm. it's being refused to be answered. And that's why we're, the Democrats, hoping for the open hearing. Right. Anyway. But yeah. we will see. Roy Moore's a creep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, that was a a weird thing. Well, we'll see on Monday what the how the testimony goes. That's when it is it going to be public or is it going to yeah, be like a C-SPAN thing? I think it's going to be public. Oh God, I know. There's going to be another protester, isn't there? Yeah, which is just 200 arrests have been made throughout the hearings. The, it, it's a such a show, man. It's a freaking circus. No, and the, here's the thing: you asked what a, when the, was the tipping point. I'm saying I don't know because Feinstein had this for a month and a half. She did? Yeah. So, basically... And they're wanting to claim that right-wing media sources somehow uh, found out about it. But The Intercept's not a right-wing media source, by any means. No, I think what was happening is it was being leaked out in little bits and pieces that we got this. I think it's all a big campaign to drop this a few days before you're going to have your vote to slow walk it. To which Trump then drops the Russia documents. Well, Trump's been playing that for months. No, this seriously. Is, this seems like a really good time to do it when you can swing I, the Supreme Court. I think they're actually annoyed by the fact that the this Supreme Court notice has come out. Because they've been planning that declassification. I, I tell you, man, we've been following this for months. Really? They've been walking up that declassification for months now. Like, all the... So is he doing all the documents, or is it... Couture. No, what he was carefully he, selected. What he was he was doing, and I could look it up, but I think he's doing like the FISA application, the Spy on Carter page. He's doing all the text between like Peter Strzok and the head of counterintelligence for the FBI, Lisa Page, the general counsel for the FBI, who are lovers. Um, more text from FBI officials who are very critical of Trump being a candidate and potentially being president. Um, a lot of stuff. But th- what Trump was waiting on is the Inspector General of the DOJ, Michael Horowitz. He did that initial review of the Hillary email investigation, said, I didn't see any political bias necessarily that affected the whole investigation. I just wish somebody on that side would have come out and said, what she did was the dumbest thing I have ever <laughs> seen any person in power do ever, right. point blank. And she should be crucified for that. Not literally crucified, but what she did was idiotic beyond well, measure what's going to happen though is what he was waiting on is horowitz to get to the second thing he was going to investigate which was the initiation of the russia investigation by the fbi by peter struck and that came about from the fisa warrants or did it come about from uh was the it? initial fisa warrant yes it is signal the beginning of it after the hillary thing's done the russia investigation begins peter struck investigated hillary and then jumped right into doing the trump collusion thing they start getting a FISA warrant on Carter Page 
and that's where it all be. And we don't have all the facts. Is why they want to declassify it. But I think what's going to happen is Horowitz, who was an Obama appointee, is going to come out and be like, yeah, this smells to high heaven. With what Peter Strzok was saying and how he started this, I think it's, I, it's going to, um, in an indirect way, using the tools of government, the career folks, using the deep state against the deep state, uh, yeah. to kind of hobble the, the very seeds of what started the Mueller investigation. Not Mueller himself, but like, look at who... Well, the the, the FISA warrants came out of the Steele document, didn't they? Uh, that's, yes. Yes. Well, initially, Democrats wanted to say, no, we had other sources. No, the main source of getting that FISA warrant was the Steele dossier. And, oh, also media reports that it turns out were fed to the media by Steele. So it's the same information just being pollinated all over.